Amen. Thank you, Dana. You know, if you think through human history, change has been a constant. Change is the one thing that doesn't change. You know, the will, the printing press, the internet. Now, the pace of change is accelerating rapidly. Things are changing much quicker than they used to. You know, you buy a computer this year, and by next year or the year after, it is pretty much obsolete because everything has changed. I read a few quotes about change today. Robert Gallagher says, change is inevitable except from a vending machine. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson said, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. Former British Prime Minister Harold Wilson said, he who rejects change is the architect of decay. Now listen to this. He said, the only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. I thought, there's truth in that. The late American author Bruce Barton said, when you are through changing, you are through. I looked at the last 100 years today. I was just kind of comparing some things to see how things had changed over 100 years. Life expectancy in uh, 1919 was 54.6. Life expectancy today is 78.7. Now, that was interesting to me when I saw that number because that has actually declined. America is one of the few... uh, Progressive countries that is seeing a decline in life expectancy. And, and so I began to do a little reading, try to figure out why, why that was. And it, there are several factors. One is uh, the opioid crisis, the drug crisis. People are overdosing and killing themselves, and that factors in. Um, uh, another reason that I found was the despair, the, the depression that's out there. And then also just obesity. Pe- pe- we're just too large, and so we're killing ourselves is what... Uh, they were saying a pound of bacon in 1919 cost three dollars I mean it cost 34 cents in 1919 today a pound of bacon on average across the United States costs four dollars and 82 cents a Ford truck man I wish I lived in 1919 a Ford truck was six hundred and fifty dollars today a truck like mine that's out in the parking lot, and it, it's, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It's nice, but it's just middle of the pack. Stickers for $44,129. 65-year-olds in 1919 made up 4.7% of the population in America. 65-year-olds and above today make up 14.3% of the population, so it's almost tripled. The speed limit was 10 or 15 miles per hour, depending on where you were driving. Today, it's anywhere from 55 to out west. It was really nice when we went out to uh, South Dakota. It was 80 in places. And so uh, some of us can drive 80 anyhow. Those of you who are Bowling Green's finest, pay no attention to that. Um, But it was nice to legally drive 80. In in 1919, 87% of the childbirths happened at home today only 1.27 percent happen outside of a hospital in america and so you can see how things have changed one of the first computers if not the first computer in the united states was in 1990 or 1944 at harvard university the mark one computer how'd you like to have that in your office it here was its dimension it weighed 10,000 pounds it was a desktop, it wasn't a laptop. 
Okay, 10,000 pounds, 765,000 components. It was 51 feet long, 8 foot high. There were 500, of, 500 miles of wire in it. It had a 5 horsepower motor. If you have an, an iPhone 5 or above, you have more capability than that computer from 1944. In your little phone, you have more capability than that computer in 1944. When Bill Clinton was president, of course we know that Vice President Gore created the internet. Um, <laughs> when Bill Clinton was president, there were 50, it was estimated there were 50 websites on the World Wide Web. 50. We got one or two more than that today. According to Google, there's 1.8 billion active websites and they are being developed at 380 new websites per minute of every hour of every day. Today, decisions are harder because there's more and more choices. I mean, those of you who have any age on you, you can remember life before the remote control. If you were a child, you were the remote control, right? And there were only three channels you had to turn to, ABC, CBS, or NBC. I mean, there wasn't all of these others. And now you just get one of the basic packages and you have a plethora of channels to choose from. So it becomes more and more hard. Ice cream. Man, when I was a kid, we had four choices. Strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, and Neapolitan. Y'all remember what Neapolitan was? It was all three together, just in case you couldn't make up your mind. Now there's all kinds of choices, thousands of flavors. Coffee. Used to be regular and decaf, right? According to Starbucks website, there's over 15,000 different combinations that you can get at Starbucks alone. Change. I want to share with you out of Isaiah 43 tonight a message entitled, God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. We're going to read Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Now, before I go on to verse 18, what's Isaiah saying God is talking about here in verses 16 and 17? The Red Sea, right? Verse 18 do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. Three things I want you to understand tonight about God doing a new thing. The first one is this. It's, it's simple. Change happens, Right? I mean, those illustrations I gave you at the beginning in the introduction just prove the fact that change happens. Does, does anybody else take delight in looking at old predictions that folks made that, let's just say, were less than accurate? I like, reading, I like going back and reading predictions that were made years ago. In 1900, the Ladies Home Journal said that by the year 2000, the letters C, Q, and X would be banished from the English language. Eh. 
Thomas Watson, you've heard this one. The chairman of IBM in 1943 said, I think there's a world market for five computers. That's it, five. Edgar Wisenant, in, uh, he, he wrote Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. And of course, you know, that was, I think, the third date that he had picked. Um, and, and so people predict things and it doesn't happen. But sometimes they predict things and it does happen. Bill Gates was at a consumer electronics show in 2007. So this was 12 years ago, only 12 years ago. And I want you to to hear some of the things that he said were on the horizon. He said soon you would toss your mouse and keyboard away and it would be a touch screen. That happens today. They're, They're those touch screens. Restaurants would have computers where you can order at the table, you can browse the net, you can pay for your bill at the table. We did that just the other day at Smoky Bones. Pay for our bill right there on the computer. Internet access would soon be available in a car and on your phone at great speeds. Of course, we know that's true. Um, there would be multiple terminals in homes, high-tech refrigerators with computers or television sets in the door, and we see that now. I mean, he was right in all of the things that he predicted. How many of you have a, 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 a drawer full of VCR tapes at home somewhere? Right? Yeah, we do. And I was reading today that DVDs are going the way of VCR tapes. That, that pretty soon your DVDs are going to be obsolete as well because everybody's just going to download movies on their computers. How about automobiles? I was reading about alternative fuel vehicles that are... You, Cars be driven by GPS, and you've seen those. It's amazing to me to watch those commercials where the car breaks, even if the person doesn't break, because it realizes that there's a car in front of them. There have been a few times I wish I had that mechanism on my car, because it would have braked when I didn't, and it would have avoided an accident. Um, The former chairman of GM in 2008 said this, autonomous driving means that someday... You could do your email, eat breakfast, apply your makeup, read the newspaper, watch a video, all while commuting to work. Now listen to this. He said, in other words, you could do all the things you do right now while commuting to work, except you could do it safely. (laughs) Is there a downside to technology? Sure there is. There really is a downside to it because uh, it's getting to where it's beyond our our ability to manage. Um, And so change is coming. Change happens. We're in the process of change in the church. It's part of life, all right? The second thing I want you to know is God likes to change things occasionally. According, according to what he says to, through Isaiah here, he likes to change things occasionally. He says, don't remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'll do a new thing. It shall spring forth. Um, you know, we don't, we don't like change, but God often does new things. He likes doing things. One of the most significant events he refers to here in those first two verses that we read were, it was the parting of the Red Sea. The Pharaoh had chased them and, and God had parted the sea and they had walked through on dry ground and then the water came crashing in and they all drowned and the world's greatest army was destroyed just like that. And God says, yes, I'm the God who did that and I can still do that, but don't dwell on that. In other words, don't, don't just focus on the past because he says I'm, his whole purpose in bringing that up in verses 17 and 18, or, or, or verses 16 and 17, was to say in 18 and 19 that he was going to do a new thing. Um, basically, God is telling us a reminder to not live in the past, but to look to the future. 
You know, I've heard over 28 years, I wish we'd sing more of those old songs in church. Now, I know no one in here has ever said that, but have you heard that? Anybody here ever heard, I wish we'd sing some more of those old songs in church? Well, what old songs are you talking about? Maybe A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That was written between 1527 and 1529. Or What a Friend We Have in Jesus. That was written in 1855. Shout to the Lord was written in 1993, 26 years ago. God of this city. We sing that and everybody says, I don't like this new music. That song's 11 years old. It was in 2008. And so when we, you know, when we say we want to sing some of the old songs, what's old to you and what's old to the person sitting next to you may not be the same. Change happens. You know, we, see, we oftentimes see Christianity in terms of the old-time religion. You ever heard that? Give me that old-time religion. Right? We, we used to sing that. But in reality, Christianity is a new-time faith. It's not old-time religion. It's a new-time faith. At the Last Supper, what did Jesus say? I'm establishing an old covenant. Is that what he said? No, he said, I'm establishing a new covenant with you through my blood. We enter into that covenant through what? A new birth, right? Once we experience the new birth, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we become a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. We then are baptized and we are raised to walk in newness of life. The Bible says one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. God enjoys doing new things, and so we don't need to be afraid of new things. Change happens. Sometimes God likes to change things occasionally. And the third thing is, Eastwood needs to use change to their benefit. You guys need to use change to your benefit. Uh, today, I think churches need to change the way that we share the gospel. We don't change the message of the gospel. We just change the method of delivery for the gospel in some respects. Some would say, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, the problem is it's broke. Baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention have declined for probably 50 years now. There have been years where Eastwood's baptized a lot more people than we have baptized these last several years. Um, and, and so it is broken, so it does need to be changed. We, we need to wake up to the fact that we're losing America, that we are losing our nation. Ed Stetzer did a study of unchurched Americans, and he found that the percentage of unchurched is growing. In fact, one of the largest segments of our population now are, are what's called the nuns, and it's not N-U-N-S, it's N-O-N-E-S. In other words, when they are asked what their religious affiliation is, they say none. They don't have any belief. Well, Ed found out that um, a lot of folks do still believe in God, and they want to know more about the Bible. They just don't like the church. Now, get your mind around that. They, they do believe in God, and they want to know more about the Bible, but there's something about the church that, that they don't like. 72%, he said, believe that God or a supreme being exists. And yet the same percentage, 72%, said the church is full of hypocrites. Now, while I would agree that there are hypocrites in the church, there are also, to me that's just a lame excuse because there's hypocrites wherever you go. You go to the golf course, hypocrites play the golf course. You go to Kroger, they shop at Kroger, they shop at Walmart, Meyer, Target, wherever. And, and so that's just an excuse, but, but they do believe that. 
22%, more than one in five, said they never go to church. That's the highest percentage ever in America. Today, 22% said they never, ever go to church. Yet 78% said that um, they would be willing to listen to somebody explain Christianity to them. Almost 8 out of 10 people said, yeah, if somebody wanted to explain Christianity to me, I'd listen. I'd hear what it's about. 71% believe that Jesus makes a positive difference in somebody's life. 89% of the unchurched said they have at least one close friend who's Christian. So 9 out of 10 say, yeah, one of their close friends are believers. Um, in 1970, there was this book called Future Shock written by Alvin Toffer, and here's what he predicted. I want to read you one sentence out of it. He said, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. The illiterate will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Let me help you with that. I'm going to give you... I'm going to just share four things, four ways that I think you can use the change that we are in right now to your advantage, to your benefit, all right? The first thing you can do is, is Eastwood needs to use modern technology to their benefit. We're not doing a very good job of that. Technology's not our enemy, it's our friend. Having said that, let me just suggest some things that you guys need to think about doing in the very near future. You need to think about purchasing a few cameras. They don't have to be expensive cameras. And a switching station. And you need to consider filming at least the sermon part of, of the worship and put it out there on the web. Listen, I preached a revival at Second Baptist Russellville. Now, if you have family at Second Baptist Russellville, I don't mean to offend you. But let's just say they're backwoods compared to Eastwood. And they live stream their Sunday services on the web. You go to their website and you can click on Second Baptist Russell's website and you can watch the worship service as it happens. And there's something wrong when a church like that in Russellville, Kentucky can do that and a church like Eastwood can't or won't or doesn't do it we need to use technology we need to be able to take those cameras and put a monitor out here in the foyer so that when a mom has a crying baby rather than not wanting to miss the service she can actually take the baby out there and she can watch the monitor she can see the worship service she can hear the worship service and yet at the same time those around can continue to worship um, we need a church app how many of you have a smartphone or an ipad or something like that I mean, do you, how many of you have apps on that smartphone or iPad? Man, the church needs an app. People ought to be able to walk in, and, and they ought to be able to log into the app, and, and they ought to be able to make a donation right there. I mean, they ought to be able to say, boom, I just gave $100 out of my checking account to Eastwood Baptist Church. They ought to be able to pull up the sermon notes. I mean, we need technology. We need a strong web presence. We have two campuses. I preached a revival this past year at Bellevue Baptist up in Paducah, Kentucky. And um, they, they begin the service with video announcements. They had one of their young adults that was a different person every week, and they would just give like two or three of the, the most key announcements. They, they would have somebody up there on, on, that they'd filmed saying, hey, here's what's going on at Bellevue this week. And then the screen popped up, and it said, 
text, um, text guest or something to this five-digit number, and boom, automatically, you then, they got a response that said, thank you for visiting Bellevue, and it took them to the website. And I mean, that stuff's out there. We need to be able to do stuff like that. Um, think of ways that we could share the gospel through technology, all right? And so uh, I think that's one of the ways that you can benefit as we change things. That's one of the things that you can change um, and be more effective. The second thing you can do is you can benefit through change by staying optimistic. Staying optimistic. You know, I believe we live one of the most stressful times in human history. All of our time-saving devices, and yet we have less time. Is that true for anybody besides me? I've got all of these devices that are supposed to save me time, and yet it seems like I have less time to do what I want to do than any other time in my life. Change is one of the leading causes of stress today. I was reading on eHealthMD website. It says, we may think of stressful events as unpleasant ones, such as losing a job or having difficulties at home or at school, but changes for the better can also cause stress, like a new baby, a wedding, a new house. In an ideal world, maybe we could get away from stressful situations or change them. Too often we can't do that, but we can learn to control our response to those situations. And so every one of us know people that are stressed. We're stressed, and yet we have the message of hope and stability. What did Jesus say? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are heavy, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest right you know I, i'm excited for the prospects of the church and when i say the church i'm talking about the big c churches in general okay and here's why because our message has never been more needed than it is today i mean it, 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 i can't think of a time in human history where the the message of the gospel is more needed than it was today and there are more opportunities today to get that gospel out you know Folks will be looking at you as Eastwood goes through this pastoral change and they're going to look and you're going to either be optimistic or pessimistic to them. And depending on how you respond is going to say to them volumes about your faith in the Lord and about his sovereignty and about the fact he's in control. And, and you need to be optimistic during a time of change. Um, you know, some, some churches with, with all the change happening, though, they become pessimistic. It's like the twin brothers I told you about one time. They, one was an optimist and one was a pessimist, right? They were twins, and yet they were opposites when it came to looking at things. The parents worried because both of them were very extreme in their behaviors. The, the, the optimist was, I mean, he was always positive, And the pessimist, he was like Eeyore, you know, it was always a gloomy day. They, they were the extremes, and so they took them to a psychologist who observed them and came up with a plan to help them. Well, he put the pessimist in a room with all of the toys that a little boy would ever want. I mean, everything he could want was in there. And he put the optimist in a room full of horse manure. Well, what happened was the pessimist stayed pessimistic because he had all those toys and nobody to play with. And the optimist stayed optimistic. They found him digging through the manure, and he said, with this much manure, there has to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> we need to be like that boy. You know, um, 
Our churches are filled with like, boy, like the boy who brought home his report card, and he had all D's and F's, and his dad wasn't real pleased about it. And he said, well, the good news is, Dad, look at it this way. You can be proud to know that I haven't been cheating. <laughs> That's optimistic. You know, the Lord's going to come back one day. And let's just say he came back in the next year. And he said, um, why haven't you guys been reaching more people for Christ? And you said, well, at least we've not been compromising the gospel like other churches have. I don't think that would be good enough for the Lord. We need to be optimistic. We need to be hopeful about the church, about the future. Zig Ziglar said, I'd, I want to be so optimistic that I'd go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take tartar sauce with me. That's the kind of optimism that we who know Christ ought to have. I mean, we know the best news in the world of the gospel. Let me tell you a third thing you can do in using this change to your benefit. You can make sure that you stay a high-touch church. A high-touch church. Now, what do I mean by that? Social isolation comes because people have a lack of contact with people, and much of our, much of our technology contributes to that. Rather than picking up the phone, we send an email or we send a text message. People can sit in front of their computer all day and talk to everybody and yet talk to nobody because of technology. Social isolation contributes to emotional behavior, physical disorders, including anxiety, panic attacks, eating disorders, addiction, substance abuse, and overall disease. You know, you can sit at your computer in a crowded room and chat with people worldwide and be missing the component of human touch. You know, Bob leads our, our, our uh, nursing home Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Um, a lot of those people come to Bible study because they really do want to study the Bible. But let me just tell you, there's a lot of folks that come to those Bible studies because of the human touch. We used to have a nursing home ministry in East Tennessee where one of the pastors would go once a week, every week. And, and the part that they liked the most, I mean, we'd lead singing and you know, like if I was there leading the singing, I could understand why they didn't like that the most. But then we'd share like a little five or ten minute devotion, and you'd think they, at least I would like to hope, that they liked that the most. But what they really liked was when those two things were done, I'd go around the room, or whoever was there would go around the room and love on every single individual there. Touch them, put your arm around them, hug them, hold them. Because the only physical touch that a lot of those people get is from caregivers. And it's not a loving touch. They're just lifted from the bed to the wheelchair, from the wheelchair to the bed. And they just want human touch. They're just hungry for human touch. And people are like that. You know, folks have, folks have been, and, and I appreciate why you've been doing it, folks have been putting in notes on the offering plate that says, we need the welcome time back. We need the welcome time so we can welcome our guests. Let's just stop and talk about that for a second. What stops you from welcoming guests before church starts? Or after church is over? Nothing. See, the welcome time comes across staged to those who are not members of the church. Because they feel like if we do talk to them, we're being forced to talk to them. And what they find is most of the time we talk to the same people we always talk to and the guests kind of get ignored. That's just the reality of what happens. And, uh, and so we purposely 
You know, we had a guy that if I called his name, you guys know him. He ended up joining the South Campus. He's a member at the South Campus, but many of you would know him. I mean, he lived in this community for years before he moved away and recently moved back. He sat in here on a Wednesday night knowing lots of the people that were here, and he, sat, he and his wife sat here for 15 minutes before the service started, and not one person spoke to him. But then we had the welcome time. A few people came by, oh, man, glad you're here. And yet they ignored him when they first came into the room, and so you can understand why it seems like it's staged to people. Listen, you guys all sit in the same pew on every, every Sunday. I mean, most of you do. I can take attendance by where you sit. When I see a space, I can pretty much tell you who wasn't there because you sit in the same spot. Look around when you come in on Sundays, and if there are people you don't know in your section, chances are they're guests because you all sit in the same spot. And so go meet them. If you, if you come in late and don't get to meet them before church starts, grab them before they leave. Say, hey, man, glad you're here. They may say, well, I've been a member here 30 years, and say, yeah, but you ain't been sitting in that pew because I've been in that pew for 30 years. People are starving for folks to be friendly. In 2004, a, a, a guy who calls himself one man, he stood at the Pittsburgh Street Mall in Sydney, Australia, and he simply held a sign that said, free hugs. That's him. He held a sign that said free hugs. At first, people were reluctant. The first person to hug him was a lady in her 80s. She came up, and she accepted his hug. And soon, a lot of people were accepting the hugs. The mall cops kicked him out because he didn't have a permit. So he got 10,000 signatures and was allowed back into the mall so he could start this free hug movement. Thousands of hugs across the world were given as random acts of kindness. In fact, there was an Australian band. I don't know where they got their name, but their name was called Sick Puppies. They wrote a song and a video about the free hug movement that has 67 million views. Well, one man didn't start the free hug movement. It started in the early church. You know, Scripture talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Now, I wouldn't advocate that if you're married here. Probably wouldn't advocate it if you're single either, all right? A holy fist bump, as Dana likes to give, or a hug, or something like that, whatever is appropriate, but, you know, we need to be greeting one another every time we meet. And so I challenge you, especially during the interim when there's an amount of uncertainty and people come in, and, you know, when, when, a, when a guest comes, they want to know who two people are. They want to know who the music person is, and they want to know who the preacher is, okay? And so when they find out that there's not a, a permanent preacher, there's a little bit of uncertainty, and so you guys make sure this is a high-touch environment. Use this change to your benefit. Make sure everybody knows that Eastwood's a place of love and acceptance, a place of friends. Let me do the last thing. Um... You can use change to your benefit by remembering that God is in control. No matter what, change happens, but God never sleeps nor slumbers. He never gets off of his throne. He's still sovereign. You know, when things change, people look for something to hold on to. And it's our job to tell them, listen, I tell you as, as a church family, you, you know, don't hold on to me because I'll fail you. 
Hold on to the one who never changes. Hold on to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hold on to the Lord. Remember that he's in control, that he's got this. It's our job to demonstrate that to a watching world. Sociologists tell us that we are living in a post-Christian world. Uh, they say that the day is going to come soon when Christianity is no longer the dominant religion. But listen, that may be true, but there will never come a day when Jesus Christ does not reign. It may not be the dominant faith, but there'll never be a day that he abdicates his throne of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, on the way to Romania one time, I happened to peek out my window, and we were flying over Greenland, I think it was, or Iceland, and I could see the icebergs in the water. Y'all ever done that? It's a pretty cool thing. And I noticed the icebergs were, some of them were huge and some of them were small, and that caused me to start reading about them. Because one thing you notice, if you could sit and stare at them, they're all somewhat moving, but the large icebergs move in one direction, and the small icebergs move in a different direction. And so I was like, how can that happen? I don't, I don't understand how they move in two different directions. The explanation is simple. The surface winds drive the small ones. The huge icebergs are moved by the deep ocean currents. And if the ocean currents and the winds are not going in the same direction, the icebergs are going to move in opposite directions. Now, why do I tell you that? Because as life change happens and people face trials and tragedies in their life, we've got to point out that there are two forces that make our lives subject to change, the surface winds and the ocean currents. With winds, everything is changeable and unpredictable and distressing. The stronger the wind, the more the gusts, the more powerful. But... The ocean currents represent the, the deep things of God, the deepness of God's love, his unchanging desire to save people, his wisdom, his sovereignty. And so we need to tell them, listen, yeah, you know, the, the winds of life can push you in one direction, but God may be leading in a different direction, and you can trust him. One time, Mrs. Albert Einstein was being interviewed, and she was asked if she believed in the theory of relativity. Now, I don't know how smart she was or wasn't, but she was asked, you know, her husband came up with that, and she was asked, do you believe in the theory of relativity? And here's what she said, yes. Then they asked her a second question, do you understand it? Listen to what she said. No, I don't need to understand it because I know Albert and I know he can be trusted. Hear me. We don't have to understand everything about God, about why he does what he does. But here's what we do know. We know him, and we know that he can be trusted. Some of you today need to trust him with your todays. All of us need to trust him with our tomorrows. I don't know what the future holds. I really don't. But I know who holds the future. You don't know what the future holds. But if you're a child of God, you know who holds your future. Change is going to happen, but he never changes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've shown us over and over again in your word that you are God that does new things. Lord, oftentimes those new things bless us tremendously, and oftentimes they break us. But God, the one thing we know is that you love us and that we can trust you.
And so, Lord, while none of us know the future, we know that you hold our future, and our future is safe in your hands. Father, tonight, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have the assurance of that future with you, I pray that tonight would be the night they make their commitment to you. They put their faith and hope and trust in you. Lord, just find us obedient now to whatever it is your Spirit has instructed us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.